The views and opinions expressed by the guests on this podcast are that of their own. In no way, shape, or form do they reflect the official policy or position of the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack. You've descended into the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack a commercial diving podcast by working divers for divers. Pressure Junkies make some badass suits. Go to PressureJunkies.com. That's PressureJunkies with a Z dot com. Pressure Junkies wetsuits are commercial diving suits for the working diver, and they're not going to break your bank. Suits are affordable. They last long, and they're just like us. They work hard. So go to PressureJunkies.com. That's PressureJunkies.com. Hey, guys. This is LB Diver with the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack. This is Jason Becker with the Arc Junkies Podcast. We want to welcome you guys to this special dual episode of the Bottom Dwellers and Arc Junkies. We're going to be talking about the trades. We're going to be talking about a little bit of diving, some welding, it's going to be a great episode. Hope you guys enjoy it. Well, it's it's great that we're doing this dual episode, man. This is awesome. You know, I'm in, something. This is my first uh, cross pod, I guess they call it, like cross podcast, you know, talking to other podcasters, like within the welding industry anyway. It's kind of like a, like one of those TikTok dual things, right? So we're going to be doing some dancing too with this episode. Oh, I can't dance. No. <laughs> 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 just kidding um yeah so it seems like a social media is a big tool dude uh seems like everybody's on everybody's using it we got the tiktok you know instagram facebook you know facebook's old, old for, for old people now right right i guess they call that the uh the, the, for the boomers yeah i remember freaking myspace doing uh doing the band pages on myspace oh yeah now now we're dating ourselves there yeah i had a myspace yeah. profile for a hot minute what about the uh aol instant messenger that was that was crazy. That was all we had back then. Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, that was pretty much the, the forefront, you know? So I think it started off with, uh, AOL instant messenger and then it kind of developed into MySpace. And then Facebook took over. And then uh, I think right after that, your, you know, your Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff popped off. And now we got all kinds of crap. There's uh, what, what do you got? You got the, uh, TikTok, And then, I mean, there's just too damn many to name. There's, there's so many different forms of social media, but I think the coolest part about it, everybody can find a niche. They can find more exposure to different things that aren't, you know, that are kind of like outside of your wheelhouse. And that's how I found your podcast. I found your podcast on Instagram because you posted some, some cool pics and stuff, you know, started listening to some of your episodes. and was like, man, this guy knows what he's talking about. So along with social media, you got a lot of people that are doing things and saying things without any repercussion. So us in the trades, we've got repercussions. If we say something, we're going to get called out on our BS. So I think that's why we've seen the success that we've seen in our podcasts. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you got to keep everything relevant, topical, and then credible. You know, I, I think that's the biggest thing because if you're not credible, if, if you're just spouting off a bunch of BS that you don't know anything about or your audience, you know, doesn't, you know, they, they actually know what they're talking about. Uh, they'll call you on, on it real quick and you can see that, you know, because people stop listening. Exactly. So I'm a commercial diver. I've been doing doing my trade for about uh, 16 years. Um, I started out doing carpentry. So I've been in the trades pretty much most of my adult life. I started out uh, doing volunteer projects at my church at about uh, 17 years old, doing some builds. And that kind of got me a little taste. You know, I was a nerdy, uh, nerdy kid playing baseball, you know, played orchestra, played violin and everything, you know. Um, being a tradesman was the furthest thing from my mind. I thought I was going to go straight to college, you know. But uh, I got a little bit of taste of that construction, uh, took auto shop. My first job was at Jiffy Lube. And uh, so I got my hands dirty while I was, you know, going towards towards a white collar field with college and everything. And then uh, later on, it wasn't for me, you know, did, did about a year and a half and just didn't like the constant, you know, just didn't like it. Found out, you know, that I was actually, I was actually working, you know, with the union, Carpenters Union. And going to school at the same time. And we got to the point where we're like, dude, this is pointless. I'm making way more than my professor at this point, you know, with the overtime. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what's some, your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. Similar situation. I was going uh, for my bachelor's degree in construction management. 
And it wasn't until about three quarters of the way through that I realized, damn, you know, like if I, if I get into this, this construction management trade, I'm looking at starting salaries, you know, because I've got other classmates and stuff that they're, they're graduating and, you know, they're getting into the industry and it's like, damn, I'm going to take like a 10 to $15,000 a year pay cut to get into this industry that I've been studying six freaking years for. Yeah, no, I'm going to, I think I'm going to go ahead and finish up this degree. And then I'm going to be sitting in an office, you know, and that's something that I didn't want to do. And that's why I picked construction management because I figured I'd be in the field. You know, I don't have to necessarily disconnect from the field, but I'm not going to be behind the tools. And then I realized that the more you get into it, it's like it's office meetings. I'm stuck in a cubicle or an office or behind a computer, you know, all day. That's not what I want, man. I want to keep getting my hands dirty. I want to keep building things and then, you know, be able to pass that knowledge off to other people. And that's kind of how I ended up in education. And that's awesome, dude. And, uh, the thing is, like we both said, you know, you, you, you have to, you have to be exposed to pretty much everything to know what you want. You know, they say that you figure out what you want to do in college, you know, but I mean, my personal, you know, experience, I, I kind of got a little bit of everything starting in high school, you know, and, uh, I think, uh, I think the trades are definitely, uh, definitely a good means of living to provide for yourself and your family in the future. You can save a ton of money. Um, I mean, let's just look at some of the costs for tuition. I mean, it's crazy. Now, given dive, being a diver, the, the, the trade school for diving, is about $30,000, you know, I think it's gone up a little bit more. So it's, it's somewhat expensive, but I mean, you're talking, you know, compared to a four-year school at state college, you know, you're looking like $100,000, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not bad because I looked into commercial diving. So like when I'm right about the age of, I don't know, I was probably 13, 14, you know, I thought about getting in and becoming a, like a marine biologist or something like that. And then I kind of realized, you know, I'm not too big on this whole science thing. There's a lot of, a lot of other stuff and then Latin and all that other stuff that I have to learn. And, and it just kind of wasn't my thing, but I always, I enjoyed the ocean. You know, I went and got, um, open water certification. Later on, I got into welding and, you know, that was one of the things I was actually considering when I turned 18. It's like, man, I want to go to underwater welding school, looked at the price kind of wasn't for me. I ended up, you know, going in the military instead, but, um, I mean, that, that would comparatively to the amount you're going to spend on college or, you know, commercial diving school or welding school, let's say, you know, for instance, you threw out $30,000. So you got $30,000. What's the typical starting salary for an underwater welder once they get done with the school? I mean, what's that return on the investment over the, you know, over the course of the first, second and third year? Right. You know, the, the, the return's not that great right now for the first, uh, you know, two years or so. Uh, you pretty much have to stick it out for, you know, a good three to five years. Mm-hmm. So you're still making money. Now that's kind of a, a weird situation too. You know, um, that's kind of a different conversation to have, you know, later on, but, uh, just saying you're not going to get a high paying job right out of diving school. So, you know, there is still some apprenticeship process that you have to go through now, right. with the carpenters union, you do an actual apprenticeship and they have these set stages that you're doing with the hours that you need to attain in order to uh, get your step level increases as a diver, you get your dive pay with the union, but it's really hard to break out with the union because, you know, all divers make the same, which is the highest, you know, high, high dollar amount. So divers in Southern California with the union are making about uh, I think right now it's like about a hundred bucks an hour. So, you know, it's quite a bit. Yeah. That's a pretty decent salary right there. Right. To the cost of the education as to, you know, if you went and got a, uh, a degree in something else. You got like a liberal arts degree or, you know, let's say, let's say I got my construction management degree. You know, how many years do I have to put in before I'm making that 70, 80, hundred K a year? You know, I'm going to put in a lot of years. And not only that, you got to start off as a scheduler, a detailer, a budget estimator. You know, you got to, you, you have to kind of cut your teeth on all that stuff before you're actually running work and running a job and making that kind of salary. All the while you're still paying off that hundred thousand dollars of debt, you know, that you took out for, you know, going to school. And a lot of times that when you're, when you're absorbing that information in college, that textbook was outdated, you know, the, the day that you started class, you know, things have changed so fast in the construction industry, the, the material and the, the information you're getting, it's not really relevant. You know, by the time they put the information in the textbook, they got it certified and they got it printed and they got it distributed. Information is really not as relevant as it was when they put the textbook together. So now you're already behind when you're getting out. So instead of burning cash and having debt, we're burning metal, aren't we? Yeah. Get into a trade, man. You can get into a trade, short-term training program. How, how long was your dive apprenticeship or how long was your dive program, your dive school? 
mine was about a year, um, but there's there's shorter programs out there. Programs vary in length. You know, mine was a special weekend program, so you know, it was through a whole whole year of uh, school for me. But uh, I think it's usually around eight weeks or so, something like that, a couple months. Okay, yeah, it's not too bad. And then comparatively, like actual welding, like my school is uh, the one that I teach at. We can get you through level one and level two in forty weeks. Some schools are you know, six months, some schools are up to 18 months. It just depends on the level of training that you're going to get, what you're going in for. Um, that's one of the things you want to make sure, like if you're going to be a commercial diver or you're going to be a welder, uh, you want to make sure that, you know, start at your end goal and start working backwards. Make sure that that school you're going to go to, whether it's underwater diving, carpentry, welding, electrician, make sure that that school is going to be able to help you attain those goals that you want to reach once you get out. Once you hit that graduation date, you should be able to hit the ground running. Right. And then that, Again, like I said before, it, it kind of depends, you know, on how much you're making afterwards. It depends on the training. You know, if you're going to a school that's giving you the bare minimum, you're probably not going to get that high dollar job right out of dive school or right out of welding school. You know, people know in the industry which, you know, places give you the best education, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, there, there's people that travel from all over for the different dive schools. I know that. There's a few of them. I think we got one in uh, Jacksonville. There's one up in Jersey, um, one up in California. You got Ocean Corp out in, uh, in Texas. And I think there's one in North Carolina or South Carolina, one of my students was going to go to. Um, so, I mean, you've got your pick, but I mean, if you don't live in one of those cities, you got to travel. And then you got to yeah. figure out what's going to be the best school, once again, to hit your end goal. You know, so for some, it might be over here on the East Coast taking a class, or it might be worth your investment and time to to go out in Texas or even out to LA to what's, what's that one? The college of oceaneering is that the one in LA? Yeah, it's not there anymore. And actually I think the one in South Carolina closed down recently as well. Oh damn. So, yeah, yeah. Some, some of these trade schools are closing too, man. So, you know, uh, yeah. I think that's what really screwed things up is like when they started taking the trades out of high school, like I remember going through high school and I was able to, I was able to take pottery, which yeah, I, I, I've spun some clay. What about it? Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, pottery, we had technical drawing. So I actually got to learn blueprints, you know, like nice. my grade year actually, you know, cause drawing them out. I mean, you're going to learn them if you're, if you have to draw them. So we had to do technical drawing. Uh, we didn't have to, that was just a class I picked. We had uh, carpentry and woodworking. And, you know, a part of that, one of the components to that was also a small portion on welding. We had to weld up like a little widget, you know, and working off a blueprint, but they don't have these skilled trades programs in high schools to introduce this information to students. Dude, and it drives me nuts. It's like mad. And you, I mean, you heard the old timers, you know, telling us when they were coming up, oh, I can't believe they took out Woodshop. You know, it's, you know, you guys need something like that. And at the time we're kids, you know, we're like, ah, Woodshop, who cares about Woodshop? I don't want to build a birdhouse. But looking back on it, it's like, dude, that's teaching a generation of people to work with their hands, to use their hands to do something. I also do a little bit of, or I used to do a little bit of handyman stuff and you'd be surprised at the amount of jobs that they would ask me to come do putting up shelves. It's like, seriously. Yeah. I, I think they, they really screwed the pooch when they started taking those programs out of school because not everybody's destined for college. And if you are great, man, go forth and do great things with it, you know, study, put on all the time, you know, learn that skill, learn that, you know, whatever it is, whatever that, you know, that credentialing that you're going after, whether it's a bachelor's degree, master's degree, doctor, whatever, do that. If you know that that's for you, but if you know, you're not the type to go to school and, you know, sit in a class all day and learn theory and, and you know, things like that without having the practical application or the hands-on, or you're just tired of school, look into the trades. I mean, you, you can't go wrong looking into the trades and like worst case scenario, you get into the trades, you don't like it. Now you got a bunch of money in your pocket. You can actually go work on your bachelor's degree or master's degree. You can, you know, you can make payments on that instead of taking out ridiculous amounts of student debt. Exactly. And, uh, I have shared the story before I knew a diver that, uh, he would work during the busy season on oil rig, <clears throat> excuse me. And then during the off season, he would go to school he put himself through school, eventually becoming a professional engineer. So that's not an easy feat either to, to go from a grunt diver to a PE uh, civil engineer. So it can be done. It's been done before. So, you know, there's, there's always ways to improve yourself. And if you haven't guessed already, Jason and I were talking a little bit about the trades and uh, the importance of the trades, specifically getting more vocational schools in the high schools, in areas that are lower income, if, if needed, and areas that are higher income. I mean, to tell you the truth, that's what blue collar is about. It's, you know, getting dirty, 
working with your body, providing for your family. And uh, yeah, it's like I said, it just drives me nuts to see all these slogans, support blue collar, you know, you know, clean, clean hands or money or whatever the hell that stuff is. It's like, dude, put your money where your mouth is freaking help us get some more vocational programs in these high schools. That's how you support blue collar is by educating the next generation of tradesmen. That's, that's one of the things I want to work on now is because now that I'm, I'm kind of pulled out of the classroom. So I teach welding full time. Um, but I'm, I'm running it as a management type position now. So I actually have other welding instructors under me. We're running the facility and, and they're doing all the training and the education. I do it a lot of, a lot of the testing and facilitating and, you know, building new schools and programs and stuff. Um, one of the things that I want to do this year is kind of go out and reach out to the local high schools and help them apply for different grants. You know, there's different grants from uh, different uh, welding equipment manufacturers. The American Welding Society has grants, you know, just to put a small welding component inside of a classroom, not necessarily your typical classroom, but like in a shop class, you know, you can get like one or two booths, a welding machine, just expose them to it. You know, just kind of show them that this is, you know, this is an option. And that's going to help you. You know, we're not saying full blown, you know, you're coming out of this high school. I mean, given it'd be awesome though, if you came out with your 3G, 4G right out of high school, you know, but I'm just saying though, a little bit exposure, you know, just like when I was going through high school, I was exposed a little bit to auto shop, you know, so I I even had a job as a, you know, Jiffy Lube technician, you know, lowly dude, but uh, I also had, you know, carpentry during high school as well. You know, I was exposed to that. I didn't have any desire to go into the trades at that moment. Started doing college, just wasn't for me, and then went into the trades. We need to be exposed to everything in order to be able to, you know, better ourselves or, or make a good life. Yeah. And I, I think having the awareness of like, like we talked about, you know, at the beginning of the episode, as far as like social media with now you've got YouTube, you know, so you can actually watch videos on a specific trade and be like, you know, I can see myself doing that. Or you can sit down and, you know, on your way to work, you can listen to a podcast and be like, damn, these guys are like, they're really passionate about what they're talking about. They love what they do and they know their stuff. Maybe that's something I can get into, you know? So I think the power, the power of social media and the various resources that are out there, it's getting exposure. It's, it's gaining traction, you know, like it never has before. And I love seeing that. And that being said, um, Jason and I, uh, for both of our listeners, we've been talking about doing a, a network of trades podcasts. That way, you know, you just go to one, you know, web page or, or one feed and uh, you have access to all the trades. So Jason and I were starting the uh, skilled trades network. So we want you guys to stay tuned for uh, more news on that. And uh, if you do have a podcast or know of a podcast that would fit in well with our uh, podcast network um, of, of, of trades, then let us know, drop us a line. We'll check it out. And then uh, hopefully we can make something happen. But you know, that's, that's what we want to do, man, is uh, that's how you support blue collar is you bring awareness to all the darn trades. You know, we're talking welders, divers, electricians, linemen, boiler makers, you know, everything. There are so many trades out there that people don't even know about. You don't have to be pigeonholed into call center technician or, you know, T-Mobile guy or college dude. <laughs> There's another option for good pay and yeah. jobs that are needed. And, and, and that's the thing is because like, I think as much as COVID sucked, it woke up a lot of people because all of a sudden skilled trade workers were labeled, labeled as, you know, essential. They were essential workers. Like even as a, as an educator, I wasn't without work the entire time. And most of the students that were in my program at the time, I had companies calling me saying, Hey, we need welders bad. Do you have anybody that's not in school right now that can, you know, run a bead using this process? Yeah. Let me make a couple phone calls. I mean, we were getting students hired during COVID, you know, so when you think about it, those are, those are the essential workers, you know, and in Florida, you know, we're in the hospitality industry. Well, most of, you know, I'm right here, uh, right out of Kissimmee area is where I teach at. Most of those people are working at Disney and universal. Well, hell, you know, some of those companies laid off the 50% of the workforce. So you realize how important you are to that company. It's like, damn, maybe, maybe I need to get a job that's recession proof, you know, like utilities. You know, uh, we're always going to need fresh, clean water. Uh, we're always going to need electricity. You know, people, people like being able to walk into a room and hit a light switch and a light comes on, you know, especially down here in Florida, not so much in Cali because you guys have beautiful weather over there, but like 
I like coming home at the end of the day and then walking outside, you know, walking inside and it's 98 degrees outside and I walk in and it's like a cool, comfortable 72. Mm. I like having those benefits and so does everybody else. So somebody's going to have to keep the power running. Somebody's got to keep that water coming in because I want to take a clean shower, you know, a good shower when I get home. You know, so th- these are recession proof. These are jobs that are going to be in demand regardless of what happens to the economy and all that stuff. As you know, I got into welding at the age of 15. I've never been without work. And not that I was working 15, 18 as, as a welder, but you know, once I got out, I got in the military, got out of the military, got into structural steel iron work. I've never been without a job. And most of the time I'm turning side work down because I'm, I'm too damn busy. You know, so there's always work out there. And if I was hungry, you know, like Christmas is coming up. I want to pick up a couple extra bucks because I want to spoil the hell out of my kids, you know, because they've been good this year. You know, Santa's going to be busting his ass out here in the garage, you know, putting some stuff together, tinkering around, building things for people or repairing things so I can make some extra income. You know, and, and that's something nobody can take away. Nobody can take away freaking your knowledge, your skill and know-how, mm-hmm. you know, you could lose it through injury or, or, you know, something else, but nobody can take that away from you. Other trades or other, not trades, other, uh, other jobs, they, they can take that away from you. We saw that during COVID. All that was taken away. You know, a lot of these uh, other jobs, you know, that are like in retail and, and restaurants and stuff, that was all taken away, you know, but you can't take away the trades. So yep. freaking awesome, dude. That's why we're starting the Skilled Trade Network to get as many people exposed to the trades as possible. That's how you support Blue Collar. And then that's how you take pride, you know, in your country. So yep. this is awesome. I'm really glad that we, we did this episode. Yeah, we got to come so up with some blue collar merch or something now because like you see, I mean, that's the thing is like you see all these blue collar merch, you know, suppliers and stuff like that. And they're, they're basically targeting blue collar workers. And most of the people, they're just coming out with fancy sayings. They're, they're not backing the brand. They've never got their hands dirty. No, you know, They're just, it's a, Hey, you know, it's an open, it's an open market. There's people interested in it. Let's make some cool shirts, slap some badass logos and graphics on there and come up with a catchy trade, you know, slogan and throw it out there and we'll, we'll sell it to the masses. And that's, that's what people the thing do. I was, that's, that's where supporting the blue collar stops is t-shirt and hat sales. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a thing, you, you know, <laughs> you're, you're buying stuff that says blue collar from white collar people. Mm-hmm. Just let that sink in a little bit. Anyhow, um, you know, I think we beat that horse to death. But yeah, we are going to do some stuff with the Skill Trades Network. We're going to put some merch out there for sure. You know, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about diving since I got you here. You uh, you got to uh, dive a little bit recently. I, rem- I remember seeing that with a bunch of other welding instructors. Uh, a friend of mine at uh, the Breakdown the Dive, he uh, interviewed another one of the uh, welding. I forgot her name. I think it's one of the the welding, uh, a female welding instructor uh, that so was there. And, uh, Stephanie Hoffman. Yes. Yes, I think that was it. So, you know, cool little episode. She was great. What was your experience in the tank? I had a freaking blast, man. So like I've been wanting, like I said, you know, I wanted to do this since like high school because I learned how to do, I got my open water dive certification before I had my driver's license, you know? So like age 15, I got my, uh, my open water through, uh, Naui, uh, right here in, in Kissimmee or right down in Kissimmee, Florida. Florida, and, everyone dives, dude. Everybody dives. And I'm, I'm pretty yeah. much like, dead center of the state. You got to travel yeah. an hour and a half, you know, either east or west to get into the water. I know uh, Kissimmee very well. I lived in uh, St. Cloud, you know, for about six years. Oh, you're right up the so, street. I get yeah, a lot down, down the street. Yeah. My, but, uh, I actually bartended at O'Doherty's Irish pub in St. Cloud. If you know of it, I don't I, know if it's still there anymore. I think it's all right. It's Riley's now or something. Okay. Anyhow. Yeah. So I, I, I got into, I got into that. So like welding underwater welding, has been something that's been on my bucket list forever. And the, uh, while other called me up and they're like, Hey man, uh, you want to come down to Houston and, and do some underwater welding? Uh, yeah. Let me, uh, just say when, man, tell me the date and I'll be there. Uh, and the, and the people over at the ocean corp were kind enough to open their doors up to us and let everybody come down. So, I mean, it was 20, 30 of us out there and we got to do the underwater welding. So, the first thing we did, you know, they kind of suit us up, drop us or drop us in the pool, kind of let you float around, get your bearings a little bit used to it. Uh, not everybody has had the opportunity to breathe underwater before. So for some, they were a little claustrophobic at first, but then, you know, kind of, they got their, they got their water shoes on and then they're walking around everything's going good. And then uh, once everybody kind of got a chance to jump in the pool, they're like, all right, you know, let's, we're going to do a little bit of welding. So I was like, okay. So they gave us a little bit of direction. Um, I did my first 
you know, practice pieces like this regular beat on beat on pad. Uh, just trying to get the, uh, we're using the Broco rods I'm trying to, you know, get the, get the hang of that. And I was like, okay, I got to looking at my welds. I was like, damn, yeah, that looks bad. I got to slow down a little bit. Uh, so that was the thing is like, slow down, constant pressure. Uh, you probably weld underwater about a third of the speed that you do on, on top side. And, uh, you apply more pressure. Just like if you're doing uh, like downhill pipe, you know, you want to put a little bit of pressure in there, not too much. Um, but you put a, a little bit of flex to the rod and it went in there smooth. I ended up and got a, uh, a two F weld certification. And then, um, the, um, got to, got to weld some other cool stuff. So, uh, so we got to weld up some other cool pieces. So, uh, Marshall Whitney with ROM furniture, he cut out like a bunch of different States. So he had like Rhode Island and Texas and a bunch of other States. We actually got to weld up a, a state on a stand. Uh, so now I've got that as like my paperweight. Uh, oh, it's cool. a, it's a horrible looking weld, but it was my first underwater weld. Uh, but then I got to do the two F piece, um, brought that up to the surface. It met the visual inspection. They sent it off to a third party CWI and I actually got certed. So the first time I did underwater welding, I earned, you know, I earned a, a certification for it. So I thought that was kind of cool. I didn't think anything was going to be able to top the day, but you know, being able to earn a, a certification the first time I've ever done underwater welding, I thought that was kind of cool. Even if it's two F, uh, you know, so it's, it's just a horizontal, uh, mm-hmm. but the experience was really cool. You know, and I can see why you guys would want to do that. I'll tell you one thing that freaking helmet is that's heavy. Uh, That'll give you a neck workout topside. And then once you get in the water, it starts floating away on you. So I don't know if the one I had was um, a little bit too big for my head. I got a pretty big head, Uh, but it just seemed like it kept trying to float away. So as I'm welding, I'm like pushing down on top of the the helmet to try and, you know, be able to get the lens in, in my sight to be able to see what I'm doing. But even then, you know, you really can't see what you're doing. It's like welding by Braille. You just got to feel it. You know, because I all the bubbles that are coming off of it, you know, you get that bright arc. It, it was difficult to see, but I had the whole day. It was just a blast being able to do that. And then um, my buddy Ray Ripple, she got to run the uh, exothermic cutter underwater and cut through concrete, steel, and rebar. Uh, so she got to keep that piece that she cut through, and she made some nice clean cuts. Uh, but yeah, that water looked like chocolate milk when she was done with it. I mean, it was just destroyed in that little pool. Uh, but all in all, it was a great day, man. Had an awesome experience and I got to put another check in the box for my bucket list. That's pretty cool, man, that you got to experience that. So, um, and, uh, yeah, burning with the exothermic rods, that's a trip, right? I mean, yeah. you could burn through concrete. I mean, how awesome is that? I mean, you're, you're cutting through concrete. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, as, as a diver, we use that more than our welding you know, a lot of these guys are doing more burning jobs than, than welding jobs, because, uh, as you know, uh, certain, certain welds, you have to get certified, you know, at certain, uh, certain depths. I'm not sure if they explained that to you uh-uh. at the, uh, that little in-doc course. So what you did was pretty much an indoctrination dive. So for all those divers that are listening, it's like, Oh, he was in the water, you know, with, with a dive hat, he shouldn't be doing that. ADCI does allow us to do in-doc dives. So, you know, you can, put someone in that's never been in a hat and put them in the water. You know, that's an indoctrination dive. They just happen to have a welding setup and they just happen to run some beads, you know, so it's all good. You know, mm-hmm. I stand fully behind ocean corp and they're, uh, they're, 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 they're getting these guys out there. So, and these aren't your regular welders. I mean, you guys were all seasoned welders, welding instructors, and it looked like it was a great day. It looked like it yeah. was a ton of fun, you know? Yeah, and they so, had all the instructors were out there. I mean, everything safety was at the forefront the entire time. We had to go through like a little class prior to even getting up on the deck to be able to, you know, put the gear on and stuff like that. And they went over all the different safety precautions and hand signals and all that and how comms were going to work. So I felt I felt really secure jumping in there because if, if you've never jumped in the water and like tried to breathe underwater, whether it's scuba or, you know, with a, with a hat on, it's a different experience. You know, you get you can get freaked out really quick. I mean... It kind of, you know, at the dive center, you know, when we, when we dove in the pool there, it was kind of natural to me because I've done scuba diving before. So I'm kind of used to that. I'm not claustrophobic. It was just kind of getting used to the gear, but yeah, everything was safety at the forefront. Uh, they had all the redundancies in place and everything like that. So we had like the, the, um, uh, what the hell you call it? Secondary air supply and all that stuff. Everything was there. I guess it's a Nubo or whatever. Um, everything was there, you know, as far as like safety and stuff. So, and then we had, they had another instructor in the tank with us. So just in case anything did go wrong, you know, they had somebody there. All right, let's take a quick break and talk about our sponsor, Ocean Eye Inc. Do you love being the center of attention? Is it always about you? You're damn right it is. You're a diver. At 
Ocean Eye Inc. Their main focus is you, the professional working diver. You're hardworking and you deserve a company that's going to work just as hard for you. Call Ocean Eye at 610-621-5750 or go to their website at OceanEyeInc.com. And listen, whether your company is offshore or inland, they got what you need at prices that will help your bottom line. What's even better is that they won't sell you gear and then just forget all about you. They're not a one night stand, slap on the ass, I'll see you later baby type of business. No, sir, they are going to take care of you for years. True and reliable end to end service. They can provide sales and maintenance. They have an expert team that can service the gear you have in your dive locker, keeping it working and making money. Because what's more important than making that dough? Chris Gable, the owner of Ocean Eye, is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to commercial dive gear. For years, he's written the dive equipment maintenance column in Underwater Magazine. Need a custom umbilical? They'll build them to your specifications. Need a Gorski or a Kirby Morgan hat? Yeah, they got those too. They can even do the overhaul for you after you buy them. Have a complicated job and need a dive spread? Call Chris at Ocean Eye. He doesn't try to sell you on expensive cookie cutter configurations. He wants to build you what you need for your job site and make you money. From dry suits to gas rack systems, Ocean Eye can supply you with everything that you need to keep your company running and profitable. Take a look at their website over at OceanEyeInc.com for more information or give them a call at 610-621-5750. That's OceanEyeInc.com. Let's get back to the show. I've uh, I've helped with some of those dives before too, you know, those uh, in-dock dives. But uh, so if you had another, like say you had another extra day, you think you could have gotten your uh, vertical and, uh, or, and, and your uh, overhead? I don't want to get too cocky, but I think if I had, you know, like some, some instruction on, you know, somebody that's done it before, I think I probably could have done it. Um, like I said, I don't want to be cocky, but like, I'm not willing to turn anything down when it comes to welding, you know, I'll give it a shot. And if, if I screw it up, you know what? I mean, that's my slogan, make every weld better than your last, you know? So if, if I screw one up, I'm just going to try it again. I'm just going to keep trying until I get it right. And the point that I'm making there is that I'm, I'm telling you, if you have some familiarity with uh, welding, you're going to be better, you know? So once you went past that little learning curve or that hour of just, just melting, you know, rod, uh, burning rod there, I'm sure you were, I mean, you were able to run a bead in order to get past the visual inspection. I mean, that's saying a lot for someone that's never dove, you know, a hat before. So, I'm, so my piece of advice to those divers out there, um, if you want to be a diver, an underwater, you know, construction worker pretty much is what we are. Um, Get some topside skills first because it's going to help you. Mm-hmm. You know, go get some welding certs. Go to Jason's school. You know, get some welding certs topside. That's going to look good on your job resume, and it's going to make you a better, better diver because you're not going to magically be able to run good bead underwater if you've never ran a single bead topside. I'm telling you that right now. Yeah, I would, I would say, and and that's kind of like a big misconception. But and you'll be able to speak to this more than I can, but. You know, from what I understand is like, everybody wants to be like, I get all these students in all the time. They're like, Hey man, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to be an underwater welder because they make all kinds of money and they do this and that. It's like, yeah, you know, but when I was at the dive school, they kind of explained to us. And then I had, uh, uh, Richard Johnston, uh, from Ocean Corp on the podcast. We talked about, you know, the amount of time you're actually welding as a, I mean, you're a commercial diver. You're not an underwater welder. I mean, you've been in the industry longer, you know, probably longer than, you know, most people that I know that, that have done it how much of your time is actually spent welding compared to everything else. I mean, they told me it was roughly about 5%. So I don't think you're going to have somebody that's just an underwater welder. You're a commercial diver first and foremost. And most of the stuff you guys do is, is like cutting and, you know, rigging things up and taking them out of the water to do the repair and then putting them back in the water. Yeah. And that's about right. You know, um, there is a handful of guys that I do know that they do quite a bit of welding. And once you have that name to your, to, to yourself, you know, you're the go-to guy for those welding jobs. And uh, another interesting thing, Jason, that your listeners might appreciate is that a lot of the welding that's done, that's a structural steel. um, If it's a deep job, the weld test has to be done at depth. So Mm -hmm. you're welding plates at depth and they're bending them, you know, so it's, and the type of metal that's steel or whatever you're using for that structure, you have to weld on that metal at that depth. And if the depth changes, you also have to weld at that new depth. So there's a lot involved. So just because you have like myself, I've only got, you know, my, my, uh, you know, 
3F and 4F, you know, which is the underwater, you know, uh, vertical and overhead. But mm-hmm. um, I would have to research on some of the bigger jobs. Now, some of the jobs like on ship work and, and, you know, pile driving jobs, which I've done quite a bit, like welding anodes and stuff in the water that you don't really need to research. You know, my, my search would be fine, but uh, for the most part, welding jobs are far and few between in the uh, construction business of underwater construction. So having that good welding skill topside, that's going to help you when times dry up. And as a welder, you know, that too, the amount of side work that you that you can potentially get as a welder is amazing, isn't it? Oh yeah, I mean, there's like I said, there's a lot of times that I'm turning work down just because I'm I'm too busy. You know, I don't have time to do it. So that's same thing. You know, there there's busy seasons and dive into um, construction is feast or famine, as everyone tells you. But uh, it's not so much famine if you know you've got a couple skills that you can exploit during the slow times. Yeah, you know. I always laugh when people said it was feast or famine, you know, the only time that I felt like really iffy maybe was during the great recession, you know, I think in 08 or so I had, you know, half a year where I was like, holy crap, this sucks, you know, but uh, other than that, you know, it's been pretty good just because I've been well-rounded. Now mm-hmm. that applies to both of our trades. You have to be well-rounded, right? You can't just be like, I only weld stick, Right. Yeah, I was I was listening to a uh, I watched a, a YouTube video the other day by a guy by a gentleman by the name of uh, Kai Bradford, and um, he was talking about like you're not just a welder, you know. And, and I mean, this it kind of goes without saying, but if you if you're not familiar with the industry, there's very few jobs where you're just going to show up and everything's already set up and tacked in position. I mean, like I've never been on a single structural job where it's like, okay, I'm the welder, and I just go up there and I just start welding connections together. That's not going to happen. I mean, you've got to get the stuff off the truck. You got to put the bevel on it. You got to clean it up. You got to set anchor bolts. I mean, you got to wire brush anchor bolts. You got to level everything off, get these things in position, clamp it up, fit it. Then you can weld it. You know, so like I tell my students, like welding is probably 20% of what you're going to do. The other 80% of the time, you know, your material handling, you're, you're cutting, you're fitting, you're fabbing, you know, welding is, it's probably the most technical part. So you're going to have to spend the majority of your time doing that. But Leading up to that, you know, you really got to know how to read a tape measure and use common hand tools and and fixture things to so you, you can avoid warpage and you know be able to follow the blueprint and then be able to pick out the uh, the the parts of the blueprint where you're going to need like an RFI or request for information because it's not clear, you know, because it, it looked good to the engineer on paper, but once you got it out to the job site, it's like this isn't going to fit. That weld isn't going to be able to go there if this is the sequence of construction. So these are some of the things you got to start planning out. You know, I tell my, I, I tell my students all the time, plan your work and work your plan. You know, you can't just go in there and just start slapping stuff together. And, you know, I'll give them uh, blueprint projects all the time and you can see, you know, they'll just grab everything and just start tacking it and, and they'll weld the whole thing out. And it's like, oh man, you really screwed that up, huh? You didn't lay out your measurements and now all your pieces are warped and everything because you didn't get everything square before you tacked it up. And you thought the welding part was the most, and, and I'll let them fail just so that they can understand that part, you know? they'll go through and weld it up. And now the, the whole thing is just warped to hell. It's like, you didn't, you didn't plan out your bead sequence. You know, you didn't tack everything together that you should have because these tacks on this part are going to hold this piece in place so that when you weld on it, it's not going to pull or, you know, instead of welding, you know, this side and around just because it's easier and closer, you know, you might need to weld opposite corners, you know? So if you start bottom, right, you might need to go top left next to work that distortion out. And these are, these are just things you need to know. So being a well-rounded welder or a well-rounded tradesman, that's just going to help you out. I mean, don't go to welding school and just think that that's the only thing I'm going to do is, is weld 3G test plates once I get out in the field, because that's not going to happen. You know, I don't want to bust anybody's bubble, but get in there, get as much hood time as you can, but also learn that fabrication component, you know, and learn being a team player and learn you're, you're going to have to punk around a, a keg of bolts every once in a while if you're on a structural job. You know, you're going to have to run line out. You're going to have to roll up lead at the end of the day. It's not just show up, weld and go home. You know, there's, there's not going to be a red carpet rolled out for you once you get there. And that's why I think this episode is going to be the freaking best because I mean, our trades are so similar. We kind of have these, you know, everybody kind of looks at us like, man, these guys are badass, you know? So that's the idea that you've got in your head as a young person going into welding school or going into dive school, you know, you're expecting that, you know, you're getting into the trade for the glory initially, but then you get on the job side and you're like, holy crap, I've got to go to work. Yeah. 
<laughs> I've got to get to work. You know, it's not just welding bead. It's not just putting on a helmet and going in the water. You know, that's just a method to, you know, just a mode of transportation to your job site, you mm-hmm. know? So I love that, that you're, you're telling these guys the truth, you know, these kids that are going through your school, you're telling them the truth. A lot of the dive schools, they're not, you know, and, and it's a rude awakening. You know, if you don't prepare them, they're going to be lost yeah. and it's not fair. It's not fair to pay, pay, pay that much money to invest, you know, that much money into something and uh, just be totally unprepared. So I, I get people in the program all the time. They're like, man, I, I didn't realize it was going to be this much work. Or I didn't realize it was going to be this hot. And it's like, you, you do realize that a steel is heavy. Like most, most of the stuff we're working on is steel. So that's going to be heavy. So that's a lot of work moving it from point A to point B and cutting it up into smaller pieces and, and getting it just right. I mean, there, yeah, there's a lot of work in that. And then, yeah, it's going to be heavy. You're melting steel and aluminum with electricity, let alone, you know, you're playing with an arc that's about 10,000 degrees and you're well, you know, you're wearing a welding jacket. You got a welding hood on beanies, gloves, all, you got all the safety gear on and we're in an air conditioned shop. I mean, they, they've got it made, man. It's like a constant 75 degrees in there. This ain't hot. Let's go on the parking lot. We're going to fire up the engine drive in July. And, you know, we're going to go out there and, and weld in that, you know, that's hot. And, and I get them to do that. But, you know, we started, um, I started doing interviews with the students prior to them coming into the program, because I want them to know this is what you're going to get into. You know, it's, it's not going to be easy. And if it was easy, everybody'd be doing it. But if you put all the effort into it, and this is something that you want to do, we can guarantee you it'd be worth it. And nothing, you know, nothing that's worth it is going to come easy. You're going to have to put in a lot of time. You're going to have to put in a lot of effort. You're going to have to get out of bed and go to work or come to school when you simply don't want to. You know, you got a case of the screw-its because it's Monday and you stayed up too late partying all weekend. You still need to be there on Monday. You know, same thing once you get on the job. I set the same expectations for the students coming through the program that an employer is going to hold them to because a lot of them, they haven't had a job, you know, that, that required that amount of work ethic, that, that amount of dedication and hard work. Yeah. If, if you think welding school is hard, wait till you get out in the field and you got to do this stuff for 12, 16 hours a day, you know, and you're in weird positions. Yeah. Come Wednesday, your body's like giving out and it's like, ah, oh, shit. I mean, I still got, Oh damn, we're working seven twelves. Yeah. I don't have a day off this weekend. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to happen. This is, I kind of give them a reality check and say, this is what you're getting into. This is the line of work you're choosing to pursue right now. Yeah, that's great. And uh, again, that goes back to earlier in the conversation. You know, if some of these uh, kids coming through these schools would get exposed to it a little bit, you know, say during high school, that would help them out. You know, that might weed out some of the weaker ones or that might strengthen some of the ones that, you know, are on the fence about it. So again, big proponent for uh, vocational schools. So um, I just wish there were more federal grants for vocational schools. Now the uh, military is doing a good job with being able to use your GI bills for, for, uh, you know, like dive school. And they also allow for the welding school, right? For all these vocational schools. Most vocational schools, um, they're GI bill eligible. Yeah, exactly. Now there is a little bit of a caveat for the schools that uh, do accept the GI bill money they also have to help them with job placement. Mm -hmm. So that's where some of the diving schools are getting in hot water. They're not doing a good job with the job placement. They're accepting a million students, but they're not placing them or not helping them get placed. And a lot of them are washing out. We, we call it washing out. I'm sure it's the same in your trade too, you know? So, um, yeah, that's kind of what's, what's going on with the dive business. I'm not sure if you guys have that problem with, uh, you know, people leaving the trade and all that. Not, not a whole lot. I mean, at least not from school. Um, I mean, most of the students go, go through the program, they understand what they're getting into. Um, I personally help them find jobs and I just kind of, I like doing that because I like reaching out to the employers, making sure that what I'm teaching is relevant. And, you know, once the employers understand, okay, he's teaching what we need, you know, these are the students that he's training, let's give them a shot. And developing those relationships and helping those students like say, hey, you know, here's here's a good employer for you. You'd be a good match for them because you you want to work outside. You've got that work ethic. You, you're you drawn to this type of work. You know, I think you should go work for this company. Not that I get anything for it other than the satisfaction of helping somebody, you know, change their situation. Um, so I get a kick out of it. So I'm constantly trying to help place my students, work with the employers to make sure that they're getting good employees from my student pool. 
and, you know, making sure the students get placed because they came into welding to get a welding job. And I mean, I'm just the first line of defense. I mean, we've got a whole recruiting and job placement team that if, if I miss something or I can't find them a job, uh, we've got a recruiting and job placement team. That, I mean, that's their full-time deal is to place these students. But I mean, what was that's it amazing, like, dude? What was that's it like? A lot of time. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh no. I was, I was just going to ask you, what was it like when you went through dive school? Did you have, um, I mean, what was your class size? How many people washed out? You know, how many people like started on day one that, that didn't graduate, you know, on that, on that final day? Yeah. So we had one guy that didn't graduate. Um, that was like out of class of 11. It was a small class, you know, so, uh, it worked out pretty well for me because the, 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 uh, the company that I ended up working for, they put me through dive school and they had me sign a contract saying that, you know, we're, we're putting you through dive school. You got to stay with us for two years. And I'm thinking, I'm like, nice. <laughs> I go to school for free and get job security for two years. Awesome. Yeah, that's but, not uh, a deal at all. So my situation was a little bit different than a lot of other guys, you know, um, mm -hmm. I kind of had it, you know, made as long as I didn't, you know, screw up completely and get fired. You know, that was the only other thing too. You know, I couldn't, couldn't be a complete chode, you know, but right. uh, yeah. So for me, work was, was pretty good. You know, I had a good solid background in construction already before becoming a diver and going to dive school and joining the company and stuff, you know, but uh, I was going to talk about, how you're preparing your students for the trade by talking to the contractors, right? And finding out what they need and kind of tailoring your curriculum with that, right? Yeah. So I remember listening to an earlier podcast of yours and somebody said almost the exact opposite, that I need to get some of these, uh, you know, contractors out here to watch how we train them. That way they can understand our students better when they go to their jobs and fail. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, dude, that's backwards. You want to tailor to the companies that are paying the paycheck, you know? And uh, again, that's another thing too, is that there has to be a relationship between contractor and school, right? Mm -hmm. Contractor and instructor. To an extent, I, I remember the episode you're talking about. And I think it was because he, he had sent a student out, like one of his awesome students. And they had like a machine that he'd, uh, the student had never ran before. Um, so, you know, the student, he's fully capable of setting the machine up, but I mean, like depending on, so like most of my machines, like I've got brand new equipment in my welding lab because we did receive grants and stuff like that. So I bought like top of the line stuff to train them, you know, get them the best training, expose them to the new stuff that's going on. But sometimes when they get out in the industry, they're working on equipment that's 20 years old and it's all analog. So trying to, I, I think the point that he was making was he, he brought one of the, um, the test supervisors into his school and said, okay, now you try to take that same test using this piece of equipment. So I think it was more for, you know, hey, you know, give these kids a break. They haven't used that type of equipment. Um, you know, give them a shot, show them how to set that machine up because every machine's a little bit different. I imagine, you know, you guys price within uh, commercial diving, you probably all have similar equipment across the board, even though it's just different manufacturer. But I think that was the point he was trying to make is like, you know, he's got the skills. You just need to show him how to use that machine because you guys are running a dinosaur and, you know, I've got something that's like top of the line over here. And I think that's the biggest thing. Like I like having older equipment in my shop and newer equipment. One of the things I'll do is I'll, I'll tape out the led displays and say, okay, now you don't have led. Now you have an analog machine, go ahead and set it up. But they, they understand the, the principles of what this voltage knob does, what this amperage knob does. If I need to adjust my frequency or balance, I know what those symbols are. So if I'm on, like, if I go from like a, a Lincoln S350 with an advanced module where everything's all digital and it's just, you know, the turn of a knob. Um, now, if I'm using this old Miller Synchro Wave, that's the whole thing's analog and it looks like the inside of a cockpit on a plane, I recognize those symbols and I can make those adjustments. So I, I try to incorporate as much as I can, but like all the equipment that we have is like new state of the art stuff. I, I want to get some older like transformer rectifier machines in there so they can they can understand how that stuff works. Yeah. Because I mean, again, you, like we said before, you do have to be well-rounded, you know, and uh, that was also pretty cool about the, uh, about the other instructor that actually reached out to the company and said, Hey dude, give them a fair shake, you mm -hmm. know? So it's, 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 it's great that you clarified that a little bit. Cause I was like, what the hell is this guy talking about? You know, they're just going to go to the next guy if you can do it, you know, but I didn't realize that uh, they, they weren't giving the student a fair shake. Well, he and, had a, relationship with that with that contractor and so he's like hey do me a favor you know send your send your test supervisor down here i just want to see if he can run one of my tests 
and he wasn't able to do it. And then he's like, oh shit. Yeah. Okay. I guess, you know, things are different um, just based off the equipment. And this is a guy that's been in the industry for 20 years or, or better. You know, that's, and he's the one in charge of everybody. It's like, they, you know, and that's what I don't, I don't get is one thing is everybody's screaming, screaming for people right now. Like I, I had two weeks ago, I had three phone calls. They both needed three welders a piece. So it's like, I need to send out nine welders. I don't have nine welders. We just had a graduating class. We got them all placed. I don't have nine welders left. But the biggest problem is most of the people in the industry, they want them to have that five, seven years. Why? You know, I mean, average weight, the average age of a welder is 56 years of age right now. Like bring in one of these young kids. They've got the skills. They got the motivation. They got the drive. They got the work ethics. They've got a fundamental understanding of how all this stuff works. Bring them into your shop, train them to do what you do. And then you'll have, you'll have an asset on your hands here, you know, because they're younger, they're faster, they're, they're more fluid, you know, teach them while they're able to learn this stuff. That way, once, you know, Bob, you know, he retires at, you know, age 60, 65, you've already trained his replacement. You know, you, you've got this, this rolling, you know, line of employees coming through. So your business doesn't have to slow down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, I guess it's different for each company, but, uh, and then it's also different for the other workers as well. You know, for some of the older welders, some of the older divers, you do want to help out the younger guys coming in because again, they're going to be your replacement. You're to tell you the truth. They're going to be your employees at some point, you guys that are in your forties, because if you're still sticking around, you know, you're probably going to start thinking about moving into the office or, you know, you're getting that, that, that first foreman spot at your mid thirties, you know, and it's like, if you're not trading the guys under you, you're going to look like an idiot because the job that you're running is full of people that don't know what they're doing because you didn't take the time to train them, mm-hmm. you know? So again, it's really important to uh, kind of share that education, you know, give people a fair shot, a fair shake. Um, they might have a bad first week, you know, people are people, dude, you know, some people are a little bit more nervous, you know, a little bit more shy, but that doesn't mean that their hearts, you, you know, not the heart of a freaking blue collar tradesman, you know? Um, you, you, like I said, you got, you got to give them a fair shake. And as far as people are concerned, people that are going through the dive business, it's not just your, your, you know, your big built alpha males and stuff like that too. You know, you've got a good, you know, group of, uh, you got quite a bit of female tradeswomen or tradeswomen, you know, you've, you've got a bunch of uh, guys that are a little, you know, more technical and you got a wide variety of personalities and people. And I'm sure it's the same for welding, right? Oh Yeah. Yeah, we can get all shapes, sizes, and genders, and all kinds of stuff. But the one thing they have in common is they want to learn how to be a welder, and we can teach that. You know, and, and through the power of hydraulics, we can lift heavy stuff being small people. You know, or you can ask somebody that's a bigger guy or a bigger person, be like, "Hey, you know, grab that in for me, help me out, let's move this." Or you, you got material handlers, so you don't necessarily have to be like you know, Billy badass and, and big and be able to throw an I beam up on your shoulder and, and walk across the job site with it. Ask for help. You know, there's people there that you know. Use that to your advantage. You know, use your coworkers, be a team player. That's another thing we teach in the program. <clears throat> I'll put them in groups. You know, you got to be a team player because when you roll on the job site, you regardless of what, you know, you think you, you just went through a school, you think you're God's gift to welding, you're not. You know, there's, you've got to work as a team. You've got to work, you know, towards a common goal. You're not going to erect a building yourself. You're not going to get all these parts and pieces out of the manufacturing off the line all by yourself. You know, somebody's got to be there to help you. You need to be able to work as a team player. And I'm telling you, that's pretty much what it's all about. That's, that's how you support blue collar, you know, is, uh, being a team player. And, uh, now I'm just like throwing quotes out there. <laughs> quotes are good, man. We put them on a t-shirt. It's too <laughs> funny. No, dude, like this, like I said, it's been a great episode. You know, we're, we're kind of preaching the choir, you know, pretty much with our listeners and everything like that, you know, but I'm just saying though, for, for your audience, if you guys are welders already and want to go through dive school, you know, drop me a line. Um, and then, you know, we can give you some good advice and guidance, listen to our podcast. And I'm saying the same thing for my listeners, you know, freaking check, uh, check, check Jason's show out, dude. Um, dive and dries up. You got to get your top side welding chops up. You might have to go back to school. Hear that yeah, silence. Everyone's like, no, not school again. And there's, there's a lot of different avenues to get into it, you know? So like, same thing, you know, I mean, once you, once you have those welding schools, maybe you want to give commercial diving a try and, you know, go for those different certs. That, that's one thing I, I wanted to ask you is um, when you guys do different qualifications at depths, I mean, what's that, 
what's that depth rating? So if you, let's say you certify at 150 feet, are you only good to 150 feet? And if you go 160, you've got to research or is it like 25 foot increments, 50 foot, 75? How's that work? It's, it, it's per the job. It's whatever the engineer calls for. So just cause you're certified here doesn't mean you're going to be certified over there on another job, you know? And uh, yeah, it's kind of pretty much how that is. Yeah. You got to, you got to certify per, well, let me caveat that you're supposed to certify per contractor. Uh, but a lot of people will accept transfer or search from one company to the next. But I mean, that's, if they're willing to take that liability, you know, that that's up to them. And, and those are only on like on the special jobs, you know, that I was talking about before. It's, it's not always like that, you know? Um, so you don't, you don't come across that too often, but I'm just saying though, you know, there's times where you do have to certify certain depths, certain metals, stuff like that, you know, but okay. uh, you got to keep your chops up, you know, too. So you're always learning, always uh, sharpening your skills just because you got the cert doesn't mean uh, you're going to be good. You know, you have to uh, have to constantly sharpen just like you guys, right? Yeah. You got to keep applying yourself. And never, that's the one thing I try to tell everybody is like, don't be afraid to learn new things. And when you think you've mastered one process, move on to another. And don't ever stop learning. I mean, learn as much as you can, because the more you know, the more value you carry. The more value you carry, the more worth you are to an employer. The more skill sets you bring in there. You, I mean, you guys said it the other day on one of your podcasts, you know, your, your, your job is to make that company money. You know, at the end of the day, that's your job is to make that company money. And by making them money, you're going to make money. And if you make them more money, they're going to pay you more money. That's pretty much it, dude. That's in a nutshell, you know? Uh, so that's a great way to end the show. I mean, this is what we're doing, dude. We're, we're, we're out here doing it. We're living it. And uh, we're sharing this knowledge and education to all our listeners and those that, you know, want to do what we do. Cause I'll tell you what, man, being a welder is badass. Being a commercial diver is badass. You know, being in the trades is badass. People want to be us. People hate us because they ain't us. Yeah, exactly. They, they hate you until they need their electricity turned on or they need, you know, their, their bumper welded back up or, you know, they need uh, their, their engine or their car worked on. Then they love you until they yeah. get the bill. <laughs> until they get the bill. Yeah. People are appalled at, Oh my God, this guy makes this much. And I went to school for six years. Yeah. And I look around cause my wife's probably listening, you know? So <laughs> You're only here for 20 minutes, how are you going to charge me that? Well, you know, I got a four hour, uh, four hour minimum, man. Here you go. Yeah. My, my wife went to Miami and got a, got a four year degree in Miami. We're still in debt over that. Yeah. I'm thousand dollars, dude. Yeah. I'm still paying on my student loans. So I speak from experience when I talk about transferring from, you know, doing, doing a college degree and to blue collar. Cause I, mm -hmm. I could have well just kept going on that, that other route, but it, I knew it wasn't for me. You know, it's don't force yourself into that, that hole if you don't need to be in it. Yeah. Definitely want to do another one of these joint episodes. This was a lot of fun, you know, yep. and I can't wait till we both put it out. We're both going to put this out soon. And uh, yeah, stay tuned for more news of the Skill Trades Network. And uh, definitely, like I said, let's do another uh, another dual episode. So yeah, man, it up. Uh, great. Before we get out of here, go ahead and plug your podcast, your social media, websites, anything like that, so uh, listeners of the Art Junkies can follow you and, and tune into your episodes. Nice. And you do the same thing afterwards. Again, this is LB Diver with the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack. We're a commercial diving podcast by working divers for divers, and. Uh, our sponsors have been really great to us. We have a uh, pressure junkies as one of our sponsors. They do wetsuits. So if you guys want a badass wetsuit with uh, pockets and uh, you know, anything that you could use in the commercial field, it's a great suit, you know, looks good, feels good. And uh, ocean eye Inc is another one of our sponsors and uh, 15 fathoms wearing the hat right now. They've been pretty good to us and uh, Bay tech industries. Nice. Uh, you can follow our junkies on uh, Instagram at our junkies podcast. Uh, you can check out the Art Junkies website, artjunkies.com. Uh, put out new episodes every Monday. Forgot our website. I plugged all our sponsors, but not even my own, right? Go ahead. Uh, we're at thebottomdwellers.com. If you guys want more info, that's thebottomdwellers.com. Instagram, bottomdwellersds. Facebook, bottomdwellersdiveshack. Okay. And then your, uh, your name of your podcast, Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack? Yep, Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack. Where can people find all that? That we can find a, on all major podcast networks, you know, Spotify, uh, Apple, Google, all the good stuff. Awesome. Well, it was great having you on the show, man. I appreciate you having me on your show as well. Yeah. Yeah. This is great. All right, Jason. Well, thanks a lot for coming on, man. This is awesome. LB Diver out.
right. Jason, Art Junkies Podcast, out. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack. Make sure you like and follow on our social media pages on Instagram and Facebook. Please share this podcast with your friends or anyone interested in commercial diving. The only way that uh, we can make this successful is if we do get a lot of people that are listening. We get more listeners, we get more sponsors, and that means more free stuff for you guys. That's right. We are hooking up all of our diver brothers and sisters in the trade. And uh, if you keep sharing and liking, we're able to do that a lot more. Our Instagram is at BottomDwellersDS. Our Facebook is Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack. And you can always like and follow me at LB Diver on both. The Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack is available on all podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Anchor. We also have it streaming on our website at thebottomdwellers.com. So keep listening, keep it safe, keep it salty. This is LB Diver, out.